Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast coming to you from the Dolphin half of the Swan and Dolphin Resort in uh, the Orlando area at Walt Disney World. I'm John Manuel, along with Matt Eddy uh, from uh, Hotel Room 3047. And we might be guest, uh, we might have a guest appearance, a uh, very special guest appearance. We hear a knock on the door on the hotel room here as we record this podcast. But we're both, uh, I'm clearly afflicted with Rule 5 fever. I'm a little bit loopy, a little giddy. And we'll talk some Rule 5 draft and really kind of wrap up the winter meetings in this podcast. And Matt, uh, but we're going to concentrate on the Rule 5. And uh, Matt, you, you went through a decade of Rule 5s. And we chronicled last week how, you know, I guess there's only one infielder who dawned 1-1 in the Rule 5. And uh, now there are two in the last decade. As Enrique Cruz has company. <laughs> and the person of Josh Rodriguez, drafted by the Pittsburgh Pirates overall with the first pick of the Rule 5 draft. 19 selections made, only three position players. I think we didn't have Josh Rodriguez in our preview, Matt, because we just didn't think he was that good or the kind of player. He doesn't fit the profile of guys who stick. Yeah, he got a uh, – he's nothing special defensively. He's okay. He can handle both middle and field spots. You know, offensively he's, you know, yeah. he'll probably tick below average. Uh, the, I think the hope there is the, the Pirates think they have – an infielder who can play all the uh, the skill positions. Right. He can pinch. He, he can play shortstop. Not well enough to be an everyday shortstop at the big league level. But if you got injuries, those kind of things, he can pinch. He, he does fit the utility profile. The most important part of being a big league utility infielder is can you play shortstop. Yeah. He does fit that role. Like when uh, Jason Smith was rule five right. several years ago. <laughs> He's, he, was, he was older and batted left-handed, so it was a little, little different. But. but he did play shortstop. and. I guess the thing with Josh Rodriguez is I did talk to Neil Huntington about it. They do see upside there. They think he can be an everyday second baseman if it all uh, progresses the way uh, they hope it does. He slugged, I think it was 426 at AAA this year. He's 25 years old. He'll be 26 next week. You know, for me, this is just not a pick. I mean, not that there's a ton of upside in the Rule 5 draft, um, but he's more of a placeholder kind of guy than an upside guy. So, I don't know. I was I thought it was a, a curious pick. I'm not surprised that it's a – that the Pirates took an Indian, that, that, that'd be like a, the Royals taking a brave. I mean, there's just no, there's a little too much incestuousness going on with those front offices uh, to be surprised by these things. You know, like no one was surprised by Jeff Francoeur signing in Kansas City. No one should be surprised that Neil Huntington and the Pirates drafted an Indian at the top of the Rule 5 draft. But I was surprised that uh, that it was Josh Rodriguez. I mean, what's your, we might uh, audible here. What, what, Give, give a, a chance of uh, sticking, Matt, while I get the door, our special guest. What do you think his chances of sticking are, 50-50? Uh, Rodriguez, yeah, probably, because they, they've already got um, Neil Walker semi-established at second base. I guess uh, shortstop is a bit of an issue still, as it has been for several years for the Pirates. I think shortstop's been an issue since, like, Dick Grote for the Pirates. <laughs> I mean, that's overstating it. Jay Bell, it's Jay Bell. But uh, we have been joined by special guest Jim Callis, so he might echo in from the back of the uh, from the back of the room. But Jim, we've just started the podcast, so we're only on pick one with Josh Rodriguez. But 
And so there, let's just talk. That's, there's three position players who can knock those guys out pretty quickly. We had Mike Martinez. I don't think we ever wrote him, Matt, in a preview. We did discuss him in a podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, that seems like uh, the, the Phillies not wanting to get caught again in last year's situation where they had so many injuries in the middle infield. They really kind of went with some journeymen uh, to fill in. Mike Martinez has a reserve. He's an energy guy, reserve infield profile. Again, not a high uh, ceiling guy. But that makes sense when you've won three straight National League Easts and uh, you know had the success the Phillies have had. You don't need to have. Uh, I didn't know we were gonna have REM on this podcast. That's awesome. <laughs> but I, 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 he makes more. It makes more sense to get a utility infielder when you're the Phillies than it does when you're the Pirates. Yeah, maybe just overreacting to not having a shortstop. Right. You know? I think they've parted ways with Alhenes Diaz. And nice. They have some other players. <laughs> that's, in the picture. That's what they are. They're other players. Ronnie Cedeno, I don't know. But yeah, but uh, Mike Martinez, he's got a decent chance of sticking, it looks like. A, a guy who plays with energy and runs. And then uh, our our fave of these three players, I think, uh, even though you did uh, you did the Blue Jays farm system when he was in it, but uh, Brad Emus to the Mets. Mm-hmm. And uh, just thinking about it before the podcast, how do you like my comp? Is Brad Emus kind of a right-handed hitting Daniel Murphy with more of a chance to stick at second base defensively? Yeah, he's got a longer uh, track record at second base, whereas Murphy hadn't really played it since high school until he right. picked it up last year. Uh, Emus can kind of, you know, he's he's slow. He's not a fast runner. Right. But right. Uh, he's got the middle infield actions, it sounds like, at uh, second base. He can throw, so he can play third base. Right. He's a right-handed bat, Murphy bats left. So if the Mets can um, chase Luis Castillo out of the picture, you know, there, there's your um, – no defense platoon there at second base. That could be. You could have a Brad Emus, Daniel Murphy platoon. That would be <laughs> – that's that's a championship profile we're looking for in New York City. But I do think Brad Emus has more of a chance to stick than most of these guys. I mean, I, I think he could be in that second base mix in New York, um, especially because Murphy's coming off the knee problems. Like you said, right. Emus has a lot more experience at second base uh, than Murphy does. But to me, they're pretty similar players, second base, third base. They profile better offensively at second. They fit better defensively at third. Yeah. Always an issue. Um, those kind of players are always that. That's your infield tweener. And neither, neither of those guys can do what Josh Rodriguez can do, which is play shortstop for you, whether it's in a pinch or at the everyday, everyday at shortstop and AAA like Josh Rodriguez can. Uh, any position players you want to chime in on there, Jim Callis? I was going to say, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think Emus has the best bat of the three, which I think gives him a little bit better chance to stick. Uh, I'm not a big Josh Rodriguez fan at shortstop, although he is, he can play there and Brad Emus can. I think that's kind of the difference between the two. And then Martinez, I think, is more of the traditional good glove, runs a little bit, very light bat, you know, type of guy. So, you know, we'll see. Uh, I agree with you, though. I think Emus has probably the best chance to stick at the three of them. Well, I, should, I shouldn't say that because if Rodriguez went 1-1, right. they obviously think he's a very good chance to make their team. And, and I think we both ran into Neil Huntington and talked to him, and they look at him as a guy who can back up, and then maybe a year from now emerges there every day second baseman. So, so Neil Walker, beware for in, in Pittsburgh. I think that might be that would be a, again a championship profile infield with Neil Walker moving to third, Pedro Alvarez to first, perhaps, and where is Anthony Rendon go? Where does Anthony Rendon go then? Maybe they wind up with Matt Perk. I yeah. don't know. We'll see. Uh, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves. That's the Rule Four draft. That's <laughs> definitely ahead of the Rule Five draft. <laughs> There's a good reason why. Uh, Matt, let's turn our attention to the pitchers. And um, I think we, it's natural for Matt, Eddie, and I, when we're talking about pitchers in this draft, we 
we have to start with Scott Diamond. He's a non-drafted free agent. He's a Binghamton guy. He's a Canadian. He got drafted by the Twins. It's like a Scott Diamond love fest. It's like a Rule 5 porn for us to have Scott Diamond get picked <laughs> here. Um, which which pitcher picks did you like? Obviously, I like Scott Diamond. But uh, what does does Diamond remind you of a Twins pitcher of recent vintage? Uh, he's not that different uh, from some of their left-handers, but you know he's got a little bit better curveball. You know, maybe he's kind of in that uh, Glenn Perkins mold, but a little bit less uh, stuff as far as a little less fastball. Mm-hmm. But I do like him, and you know the Twins are also having to look at rebuilding their bullpen. It wouldn't stun me if Scott Diamond wound up you know with that breaking ball that has some you know average to plus grades from the reaction you know, the reports that we've gotten. Maybe he factors in as a lefty relief pitcher for them eventually, but. I think he fits. He throws a lot of strikes, throws downhill. You know, one of the, the best stat for him this year was right about 159 innings, which so that means he's he's ready to handle a big league workload, or he's, you know he can he can step into your rotation for a little while, and you can be confident in his durability and you know his ability to stretch out. Now, if he'd been a twin farmhand, they would have worked him up to 170 or 180 somehow. But they they the Twins are very high, very big on that, and they have a good track record of getting you know, their rookies and young pitchers to throw, you know be ready for heavy workloads. But uh, the other part of that uh, for me is that, you know, they're going to probably lose Carpovano, and they still have five starters they like, Blackburn, Slowey, obviously Liriano, uh, Scott Baker, and Brian Dunsing. But, you know, if one of those guys falters, they have they still have Glenn Perkins, they still have Anthony Swarzak, and then they have Diamond in that competition. So mm-hmm. uh, with all the potential free agent losses in their bullpen, I think it's smart for them to take a, a big league ready pitcher, and uh, he does throw a lot of strikes and, and throw downhill. Six home runs allowed and 159 innings for Scott Diamond. Uh, so I, I like that pick for Minnesota. That's nice. You see another team uh, looking to, to bolster the big league staff, uh, the Yankees. They've gone crazy with uh, acquisitions this offseason. In the Rule 5 alone, they took Dan Turpin, a right-hander from the Red Sox. And uh, who's the lefty they took? Robert, Robert Fish. Fish. Robert can Fish. Them, can you see them keeping either one of those guys? I mean, no, that would I be, really can't. Yeah, that would be a surprise. Jim, did you have a juicy Daniel Turpin rumor? You, uh, I don't know if you want to share that one or not. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to throw it out there because I'm not, not sure That's fine. who it was. But as you say, you know, both guys, if you're just looking at them, I guess a little bit of a vacuum can be, you know, Robert Fish is a lefty who touches 95. Daniel Turpin's a righty, comes from a touches, low angle, 92, 94. Yeah. He's pretty consistent, low 90s. So it's like uh, you look at that, and you're like, he's pretty exciting. Then, you, you know, Robert Fish had, what, an 893 ERA? That's right. Uh, <laughs> You know, I mean, we're talking about the Yankees who, you know, you don't just get, you know, a spot. You know, if, if you're on the Yankees, if you don't win the World Series, it's a disappointing year. They're not going to be developing you on the job in the big leagues. And then Daniel Turpin, you know, he's, he's tough on righties from throwing down there with a good fastball and, and a slider, but lefties kill him. So right. it's like, you know, you have a, you know, he's essentially a situational right-hander. And if you're a team that's not contending, okay, you know, maybe you try to add a pitch, you can do some stuff, but... He's Daniel, you know, it's not like the Red Sox are going to tell the Yankees, oh, yeah, go ahead and keep Daniel Turpin. We'll work out a deal. You know, is Daniel Turpin really going to be pitching, you know, in American League East games? You know, okay, you know, here comes a lefty off the bench to kill you. It's, I just, I can't, it, it was interesting that they took two guys. I wonder if the last time the Yankees took two guys was, but I just can't see either guy really making the team. And then, Matt, like you noted, they've really been active trying to, you know, in 2009 when they won the World Series last, they were very good in lefty relief in the bullpen. 2010, not so much. Thomas Marte was hurt. Mm-hmm. They weren't as deep in left-handers in the bullpen. Uh, really, Boone Logan was their only guy. Mm-hmm. They've really tried to address that in minor league free agency and now the Rule 5 draft with Fish. Yeah, they. in addition to Fish, they took a couple of uh, power-armed uh, lefty long shots like Neil Kotz, who I think had Tommy John surgery last year, and Andy Sisko, who missed a year somewhere in, in, the recent, in the recent past. So. They're long shots as well, but the Yankees got them as well as Brian Anderson, the 
former center fielder converted to a right-handed reliever. That's right. He's so like they're good. They're, 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 they're playing the long shots. They are. I guess they're putting the giant pro scouting staff to work. Yeah. Uh, Daniel Turpin makes me think of uh, probably the best. Uh, well, it's the best human interest story I know of in the Rule Five draft, which is both Joe Patterson and Daniel Turpin get picked in the Rule Five. They were high school teammates in the Pacific Northwest. They wound up as college teammates at Oregon State, helping the O State Ballers win the 2007 championship together. Uh, Turpin was on both the 86 and 07 teams, and I believe started in both uh, both those years. So he was a reliever, but then he also started when they uh, went deeper in the series. And then uh, you know, both guys were originally drafted in pro ball by the San Francisco Giants. Turpin traded this year, mm-hmm. uh, but now they're both going the same Rule 5 draft. I mean, these guys are just joined at the hip, and they're both situational relievers, one a lefty, one a righty. It's almost like they should be a package deal. Uh, Jim, you and I talked to Kevin Towers of the Diamondbacks. They drafted – um, Joe Patterson, he sounds like a guy who has a chance to stick. Uh, you know, KT gave us a, a Joe Thatcher comp. It was kind of a low slot left-hander with some funk and a guy who could be a left-on-left reliever. Um, who else maybe stuck out for you on the Rule 5 pitchers? Well, it was interesting because somebody mentioned this to me, and then Kevin mentioned when we were talking to him, you know, they were looking at Elvin Ramirez, who right. is like the exact opposite of Joe Patterson. Yeah, he is. He's right-handed. He's bizarro Joe, Joe Patterson. Joe Patterson... I guess he may touch 90 every once in a while. It's like 84, 86, though. Yeah, he, he's, a, he's a gutsy lefty, you know, lefty reliever. And Elvin Ramirez is throwing 98, 99, I guess probably touching 100 here and there in winter ball. Um, and they, but they figured, you know, Kevin kind of explained the logic with these two. You can see guys with great tools, but you got to be able to keep them. And he was saying, you know, you, Kirk Gibson has Elvin Ramirez is throwing 98, 99. They can't, you know, he's not throwing strikes. Then how do you use him? He walked five and a half guys per nine in the Florida State League this year. Yeah, you know, and what's he going to do in the big leagues? You know, against better hitters. And then, but he's, you know, Joe Patterson's a guy. You know, he's going to throw strikes. He's not going to light up the radar gun, but he's going to throw strikes. He's going to compete. Right. He's going to get some lefties out, and that's a guy you can actually use. So it was interesting. It was just interesting to me that Elvin Ramirez might have the highest ceiling. I guess they to get 19 guys who want today. Right. And Joe Patterson might have the lowest ceiling. And the Diamondbacks are the third overall pick. And then and they looked at it from the standpoint of, you know what, the guy who might have the lowest ceiling, and then those are our words, not Kevin Towers, right. he's going to be easier to keep, and this guy with his high ceiling might be a real long shot to keep the whole year. Because you, you know the Mets are taking him back. You're not going to – after he's throwing 98-99, it's not like, oh, we'll work out a deal. Although they're, 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 it might not fit with their protractors, uh, their protractor <laughs> approach. So it is a different Mets uh, brain trust, obviously. Yeah. So maybe they don't as wedded to – a. Elvin Ramirez, but you would imagine they would take a, a, a Elvin Ramirez back, and naturally he did go. Uh, he did go out to the Nationals. Was it the fifth pick, uh, sixth pick? I was a little bit surprised he lasted that long. And then Anuri Rodriguez lasted what to be eighth pick with the Astros. Right. And uh, and the Astros also signed Ryan Roland Smith today. They also drafted Rule Five Lance Pendleton out of the Yankees organization. So suddenly earlier this week, as I'm writing Astros. Jordan Lyles has real one, really one competitor for the fifth, star, fifth starter spot in 36-year-old Nelson Figueroa, who I think you know, Jordan Lyles, if he's 20 now, Jordan Lyles was five when I saw Nelson Figueroa <laughs> in the 1995 South Atlantic League All-Star game, which is just hilarious. And then second of all, those, that was the only competition. Now they've added three guys to that Rule 5, that fifth starter mix. Matt, I think you and I both think Anuri Rodriguez has got a fighting chance to win that fifth spot. Yeah, and the Astros have a track record of uh, uh, sticking with a guy. Like they kept Wesley right a couple of years ago. Right. So they're, they're willing to to put the time into developing the major league level. And 
you know, I think an honest assessment, they're probably not going to win the Central. Right. I think they know that. Uh, I think they're actually finally moving on with a rebuilding uh, this year. And Jim, another thing that uh, we we were going over while we were talking to Kevin Towers was, okay, here's all the Rule 5 guys. Where do these guys fit in the prospect handbook? Who's in the top 30? Who's not? Safe to say, Anuri Rodriguez will probably rank higher. Uh, but the combination of him being somewhat polished, you know, some something somewhat of a high ceiling, he's probably close like a number four, and close to big league ready, and not in a great farm system, he's probably going to be the highest ranked guy out of all these guys. They probably, yeah, it's we were looking at it, the 19 picks. You and I were running down them. There's a, there's a lot of guys on the bubble because you know when you get to the end of the list, even if it's a good organization or a bad organization, when you're down to number 30, right? There's probably 10 guys who could be number 30. It's not like there's a you know big cutoff, but. I mean, I think of you know, really. I think there's five guys who are definite prospect handbook guys. You know, Josh Rodriguez, in large part because he was the number one overall pick. Yeah. You know, Jamie Hoffman made the book last year and didn't really do much with the Yankees. You know, Elvin Ramirez. I think he'll be he'll he might be the second highest rated guy. Cause right. I think the, Nat- the Nationals. You know, I've heard Bryce Harper and a couple guys to get excited about, but it's not real deep. You know, Ramirez and and Rodriguez are maybe the two guys you could argue into a top ten. Yeah. Um, and then I think Emus makes the Mets. Um, and then I think Scott Diamond makes the Twins, and then there's a whole lot of whole lot of maybes. Uh, That's right. The guys I don't think, you know. It's, but I mean, again, I mean, the nature of the Rule Five Draft is I I didn't count how many of these guys are. You know, there's probably of the 19 guys, six or seven of these guys who are essentially relief pitchers. And mm-hmm. you know, when we do the top 30s, I think we err towards the side of upside, and there aren't a whole lot of relief pitchers on those lists. And Ramirez is a classic boomer bust kind of guy. I mean, he's. He's been a hard thrower for a long time. He hasn't gotten out of A ball. Big winner, which tends to run you up winner a Rule 5 draft. Big arm, secondary stuff, iffy, control, very iffy. Well, we got a couple of uh, Twitter questions. Uh, Matt, PSL to Flushing wants to know, uh, uh, were Emus and Beato good picks for the Mets? And what are the odds they stick? Uh, Pedro Beato, we should have mentioned him. I mean, that's like another uh, human interest Rule 5 story. The Mets right a pass wrong. 2005 draft and follow. Beato really blew up in the spring of 06. They weren't able to sign him. He goes back in the draft. The Orioles pick him 32nd overall. He gets a million dollars. Four years later, now he's finally a Met. Uh, you're ranking our Mets list. Uh, we've talked a lot about Emus. You know, what's your feeling on Beato uh, in the mix and his chances of sticking? Well, I, th- I think he's more or less uh, bullpen insurance because they're, they're losing Pedro Feliciano this offseason. Uh, the bullpen. Not a, not a point of strength necessarily last year. Actually, actually they lost uh, Takahashi as well. So they lost right. the two best left-handed relievers. Um, you know, Bobby Parnell is still kind of up and coming. Who knows when he's going to be. So I, I see it more as a depth move with, I put it at less than 50, 50-50 of him actually making the big league team. I think it always helps these teams. I talked to Mike Ratcliffe about this today with the Twins. They did have uh, amateur reports on Scott Diamond. They'd, they'd see him uh, in college. They actually had him in pretty good, he said. Uh, not sure why they didn't draft him. He was an NDFA. They also have seen him. They have history with him uh, with Team Canada, having scouted, you know, as much as the Twins scout internationally. Scott Diamond on Team Canada, I believe it was last year in the World Cup, you know, the Twins scout Europe very heavily. They were in seeing uh, Scott Diamond last year with Team Canada. So they had history with him. I think the Mets' history helps them, uh, even if it's a different front office. They have plenty of reports on, on Pedro Beato. Uh, we've also got a question from uh, TB19398. Uh, so I'm glad I'm reading all these. But uh, could Josh Rodriguez possibly potentially be an upgrade over Ronnie Cedeno? Well, that is a <laughs> tough question. Projections have him slightly better with the bat. How about defense? 
Jim, I hope he's slightly better than Ronnie Cedeno with the bat. Otherwise, and I know you. I used to, to love be Ronnie Cedeno. The Ronnie Cedeno fan club. Right. And <laughs> thought he was going to make something of himself. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're different types of players. I mean, if you could take. I think I used Frankenstein as a verb. I forget who Matt and I were talking about before. <laughs> if you Frankenstein. If you could Frankenstein, graft Rodriguez and Cedeno together, I think you'd have a, a guy they'd be pretty pleased with. I mean, Cedeno, he's not I – I think you'd be I, – I think the Pirates will disagree with me. I think if Josh Rodriguez was your everyday shortstop, you would wish you had a better defensive shortstop. I Correct. don't really think you want to play him there on a regular basis. I don't. I think they actually do agree with you. My sense was Neil Huntington does not see him as an everyday shortstop. So that's the you know Cedeno can get the job done there, but Josh Rodriguez. I, I still thought Ryan Cedeno was going to hit, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess you could say he's an upgrade with the back because Cedeno's never hit. But on the flip side, if you look at what they did in the minor leagues, Ryan Cedeno did a lot more in the minor leagues than Josh Rodriguez has done. So. You know, he hasn't failed yet, but if you wanted to look at their minor league track record, you would have thought Ryan Cedeno would be the better player. So. I think uh, I think uh, Josh Rodriguez had failed. I think he failed last year. This was He started this year his third straight well, year. I, I, yeah, in the big league. Right. Yeah, he hasn't gone to the big leagues and been gotcha. terrible for a number of years. <laughs> like, Ronnie like, like, like Ryan Cedeno has. But I mean, Ryan Cedeno had a year where he hit, I think, close to 340 in AAA. I think you're right. Josh uh, Rodriguez, this is the, this, he started this year at Akron, third straight year he'd been in Akron. He had a really big year at, at high class A Kinston, where he had 20 home runs and played shortstop and all that good stuff. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Uh, I, I didn't I, again, like, as we said earlier, as far as a one-one picks go, that wasn't the most exciting one-one pick. Well, it's kind of like the Joe Patterson pick. They didn't go sexy. They just said this is a need we have, right? And we, I mean, I think Josh Rodriguez can stick with him, but you know, it's, it's you know, and I think it's again the way we do stuff and we do the handbook. I think we'd all be like popping Elvin, you know, Elvin Ramirez, ninety eight, ninety nine, right. give it to us. Yeah, you know, and I, st- I would probably pick him one one in the Rule Five Draft because if it doesn't work out, I- I've lost at worst fifty thousand dollars. Right, they say keep him and he doesn't do anything. Who, I take the upside, but clubs are looking at it in a different way. Hey, here's a cheap way to fill a role on the major league roster. Let's talk quickly about some of the guys that we haven't maybe previewed as much or talked as much about. Jose Flores, second pick again, the two picks right out of the bat of the uh, Indians farm system. Uh, Matt, it sounds like Flores is an arm strength guy, uh, a bullpen type guy, it sounds like, right? And those are always the most uh, popular targets. You look down the list and, and you see a bunch of them. Adrian Rosario, big body, arm strength guy. Right, uh, who, whose velocity has been down a little bit. I think Nathan Adcock, though, has a little bit more. The fifth pick, he might be one of the more intriguing guys to me. The Royals, just what they need, uh, you know, more minor league farm system depth. Uh, but this guy, it sounds like he's got a chance, Jim. Nathan Adcock, you guys, I think, know more about yeah. him than I do. Uh, with 6'5", 190, big projectable pitchers, body, and some success, just not at high levels yet. And he was part of the Jack Wilson, Ian Snell trade when the okay. Mariners sent five players to the Pirates for those two guys a couple Pirates. years ago. Um, yeah, he's not – I mean, Adcock's interesting to me because I don't think he really has a plus pitch. But I, I think when I, we were doing a little mini scouting reports on Twitter, I, I tweeted, you know, if you dream on him a little bit, he could have three average pitches and be a number four or five starter. Um, so I – you know, I haven't really broken down the Pirates' 40 man roster. I was a little surprised he was available based on the reports we had on him, the yeah. success he's had. Um, you know, I don't know if he's ever going to, you know, develop a plus pitch. But, yeah, he could have three solid pitches or three average pitches, and there's big league starters who don't have three average pitches. And he's downhill yeah. at his best. I mean, he, uh, he sounded intriguing. And also, uh, Matt, you pointed out, so did Cesar Cabral, uh, yeah. whom the Rays drafted out of the Red Sox system. And, again, the Rays, a, a team – reeling from free agent losses this week. I mean, expected free agent losses, but still I think it's a tough week 
when you trade Jason Barlett and you lose Carlos Pena and Carl Crawford and they're going to lose Rafael Soriano, hmm. they're completely rebuilding their entire bullpen. Cabral seems like he has all kinds of opportunity there. Yeah, it was a great learning experience for us because none of us were Cabral. Who's Cesar Cabral? Oh, come on, you know? your Red Sox depth chart but, and prospect handbook. <laughs> well, I thought that way. <laughs> but, then, but then you look at the uh, the reports we have on him. It's it's a it's a potentially above average fastball and changeup, and uh, a good chance to stick. It sounds like because with yeah. the retirement of Brian Schaus. and it doesn't sound like he's a lefty specialist. He sounds like a right. guy who's a lefty who gets lefties and righties out because the changeup sounds like it's average to plus at times. And, uh, and then the interesting he's got velocity. Though, I was talking to Alex Spear, the yeah. fine Red Sox correspondent, and he was asking about Cabral, and he actually had heard the exact – he had the he reports he had, which I guess came from the Red Sox, were the opposite, that his, his take was that Cabral's breaking ball was better than his changeup. So it sounds to me like you have a lefty who can throw up to 93, which is you know obviously you know something to be excited about. And maybe he flashes the secondary pitches, but they're not real consistent. And it comes down to if he can hone one of them well enough, then he could stick. But, you know, if you have a lefty throw 93, you can have that guy be the sixth guy in your bullpen. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I like that pick. That was one of the more intriguing picks of the first round of, of the Major League phase. Um, and I think, you know, Mason Tobin, that was one as soon as we saw the list. Now that the story can be told. Matt Eddy <laughs> says, Rangers are going to take Mason Tobin. And they did. And, uh I mean, I think we all think that Mason Tobin, again, upside-wise, Jim, he's a guy that, in the, if Baseball America's Rule 5, we would have taken him because of the upside, arm strength. It's a guy from his high school and junior college days we've known about and has been an uh, interesting guy uh, from the Pacific Northwest. All Pacific Northwest area scouts that we knew like this guy. Um, but, Matt, he's in the, been in the Angels system, and uh, he's thrown 40 innings the last three years. Tommy John yeah. surgery, and then – was there a second injury shoulder. this year or just uh, – oh, shoulder well, this no, year? No, shoulder in 08, okay. uh, Tommy John 09, and sort of a cleanup procedure on the elbow this year. So as you mentioned, the innings total is very low. Uh, well, he was health, healthy briefly in 09. He really wowed the uh, big league coaching staff in spring training. Okay. Uh, fastball with plus velocity and plus yeah, like life. Up, like up to 96, 97, yeah, right? It's, it's just a ridiculous arm strength. But Angels didn't really see it much in the last three years. Yeah, I mean, he's just he's, – he's, Mason Tobin is uh, – He's a guy that uh, when you see him, people talk about him, but you just don't see him too often. Um, we've talked a little bit about some of the other guys. I mean, George Contos will be the closer on the Greek World Baseball Classic team in a couple of years. And I'll, actually, he'll be setting up Mike Moustakis. Um, I already gave that job to Moose. Um, Patrick Egan, though, I mean, like, I think it's strange that the Brewers and Orioles took pitchers I don't think any of us like. <laughs> and Rosario and Egan from each other's farm systems. That's just weird. Maybe we're just not on the same page as those guys. Uh, like sinker slider relief pitchers who stuff's just okay. Yeah. But, you know, again, maybe they Happy saw trails. these guys in the fall or instructional league or winter ball, and they saw something different. But uh, anybody else in the major league phase before we uh, go to Jim Callis' favorite player, Brad <laughs> Chalk, who led off the AAA phase of the draft? I'll tell you the guy who I knew nothing, <laughs> of, I knew nothing about this guy. And then I was looking up Brian the reports him. I thought he was kind of interesting. Brian Broderick was kind of like a poor man's Nathan Adcock. Where, okay. Um, you, know, you can dream a little bit, and maybe Adcock has three average pitches, and Broderick kind of has, you know, he throws four pitches, and they all kind of are fringy to average. But, you know, he had a nice year. I think he had a sub-3 ERA, uh, you know, in the minors last year or, or in, in A-ball. Um, and, you know, he might be a guy. You know, it's it's worth a shot. Um, right. You know, I don't think he's – I don't think he has a, a, a solid average pitch right now, but he's got four pitches and mixes them and throws strikes and, you know, might be something there. Might be the Ivan Nova of this draft. I'm going to work Ivan Nova one more time, a guy who gets picked – 
doesn't stick but winds up becoming a prospect out of that, just a, a guy to watch. And Matt, you, you were trying to go through the minor league phase and come up with some picks to click. For yeah. those people who aren't following you on Twitter, A, it was very difficult to find guys you really <laughs> liked. But B, if you don't follow us on Twitter, if you don't follow at EddieMK, uh, who were the guys that you were pointing out as a you know, minor league, uh, AAA phase guys you think might get popped or might stick, I should say, and make an impact? Make an impact, yeah, a double A AA perhaps. Um, yeah, the, the common theme that unites guys like Brad Chalk and Dale Molenhauer is they can run and they can defend. Right. You right. know, if they could hit, they probably would have been protected because organizations can protect like something like 78 players from this process altogether. So I think, uh, you know, with Brad Chalk, you're getting a good uh, defensive center fielder who bats lefty, draws walks. He has stolen bases in the past. He has hit in the past, though he had a bad year last year. But. It's it's a, it's a good uh, value on the minor league side. Yeah, and I think we liked, uh, like I said, Molinar. We like Molinar. I think maybe the biggest name out of these guys might be Heath Rollins. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of years ago, he had a really big year. He was kind of like Jeremy Hellickson's wingman in their early stages of them going up the minor leagues in the Rays organization. Obviously, Hellickson's outpaced him. Um, you know, Rollins moved into a middle relief role this year, but I've seen him start in the past. He's a command and control guy. Like you said, he pitches the contact. Upper 80s fastball, kind of sinks it and slides it. And he's athletic, so he controls the running game as well. Does some of those little things that a middle reliever needs to do. Mm-hmm. I, I think he could be a guy who's a minor league rule phase guy who might wind up getting some big league time. Was there somebody else uh, who was on your picks to click? Uh, uh, or, or, again, a guy who could be a triple A phase guy who makes some sort of impact? I think he had. Uh, oh, Rowdy, Har- Rowdy Rowdy Hardy. Hardy. He's, got, he's got the best name in baseball, and he's. Uh, a strike thrower. And he's <laughs> like uh, his mid eighties fastball at that's best. A, another low slot, uh, <laughs> yeah. low slot lefty reliever. So that seems to be a, a new. We should almost like look for low slot lefty relievers uh, every time in the rule fe- uh, rule five. I mean, to you guys, I mean, like the rule five. I mean, the most surprising thing about it is the way that it's run. And to the whole thing took thirty eight minutes. It's so rapid fire, and yet it's a draft where there's you know there's tons of people in the room. You know, uh, it's just a strange event. It's a unique event in baseball. There's nothing really else that's kind of even comparable, is there, Jim? No, I mean, I think I think it's an event for hardcore fans. I mean, I think that's why everybody in baseball is there, because they just like to see names get picked. Oh, I used to like that guy. I want to scout him in eight years ago or whatever. But we get more questions leading up to the leading up to Rule 5 draft. Is this guy going to get picked? Is this guy going to stick? You know, like all these questions. And then you look back, and, you know, Matt had done the story recently that, very few of these guys are going to make any kind of impact in the big leagues. Very few guys are even going to stick the full season with their new club. But, like, here, you know, on, on this day, everybody's like, oh, you know, we got these new guys. You know, it's very exciting. Uh, it's, you know, you could dream on Cesar Cabral or, you know, I mean, Elvin, uh, you know, Elvin Ramirez, I think, wasn't even on our Mets top 30 because mm-hmm. he blew up in the winter. And now he's like the buzz of rule five. Right. Uh, <laughs> but then uh, by the same token, these teams are talking about taking and take. Joe Patterson, you know, slop tossing gutsy lefty right. over Elvin Ramirez. So it's you know, and we were just saying what you know, five guys are going to make the prospect handbook for sure, and the rest of them maybe. And that's just making the prospect handbook where we rank thirty guys for each organization. And I don't think we've ever broken down the numbers of the really older handbooks, but you know, if you list thirty prospects, you know, you know, if you if you have a really good list, maybe ten or fifteen of those guys play in the big leagues, but maybe five of them are really good players. Right, so, that's a good unless point. Unless the Royals list from this year, which fifty three big leaguers. Well, now fifty four with Nathan Adcock. <laughs> right, so. I forgot about that. Any other uh, winter meetings thoughts for you guys? I mean, obviously the big news this morning, uh, kind of late last night, was Carl Crawford to Boston. 
Um, a lot of money, a lot of years on contracts. Uh, I don't know, Jim, if any of that news here really stood out the most to you. I just, when I see stuff like that, it just tells me baseball is very healthy. I don't want to hear teams talk about how they're having financial difficulties or the economy is affecting them. And I know that was the Red Sox, but, you know, the Cubs gave Carlos Pena $10 million for one year. You know, just, I, I think that even with Jason Worth, Carl Crawford, the contract that probably shocked me the most was Joaquin Benoit. Yeah. Early on to get a, you know, he's, he had, I mean, he had a great year. He's had one great major league year, and he gets three years and nearly $18 million. That was like two, three weeks ago. Yeah, but when I saw that, I was like, okay, you know, we're in for a huge, you know, huge offseason spending when you see that. And the whole middle relief market has kind of been gummed up by that contract. It just probably jacked up yeah, everybody's Scott asking Downs, I'm like, I've had more success going back more than a year. Or Jesse Crane or whoever. Or any of these guys, yeah. yeah. It's like, even if you don't think you can sell yourself as good as Joaquin Benoit, Okay, give me half of what he got. Then you're still paying me almost three million dollars a year. Yeah, for three years. If you get three years for middle as a middle reliever, yeah, you that's, never used to see that's that. That's luxurious. Yeah. And the track record on these guys. If you go look, there are very few relievers who are good year in year out. Especially when you get past the closers. And even the closers aren't consistent. You know, the, the Scott Shields of the world, right? Or a good setup man for six years. A lot of times he's, you know, if Joaquin Benoit has a rough year this year, it won't shock me at all. Those guys are so up and down. Uh, Matt, anybody uh, stand out for you? Any, any uh, whether it's on the minor league transaction side or Rule Five or just winter meetings, uh, the, the big league contracts. Anything stand out to you as the biggest surprise or story uh, or something that interested you the most this week? Uh, well, Worth was the real stunner. That happened just about the time I got here. That blew me away as well. I, I wasn't surprised he went to Washington. Seven years, seven years for both him and for Carl Crawford. Yeah. I just think, yeah, again, it just kind of proves that. What the way that the, the the union has always wanted is fewer free agents on the market rather than more. I mean, you had three elite guys: Lee, Worth, Crawford. And you've already seen Worth get more than people thought he would get. You've seen Crawford get more than people thought he would get. You're gonna see Cliff Lee get more. I mean, Cliff Lee's gonna get more than Carl Crawford. I he's mean, gonna get seven years, isn't he? He might get eight. I mean, it, it, all it takes is two teams to really want him. He might get an eighth year. I mean, wow, Mike Hampton. You, you, you wow, know. I'm just saying. I mean, he he's the last guy standing. I mean. Because look at this. I mean, I, I don't know how high the Rangers will go on him, but you, the Yankees obviously want him. If I'm, you know, Derek Broniker and company, I might, you know, I'll, I'll play the game. You know, Cliff, you know, really enjoys his time in Texas. He's leaning going back. They're willing to give him seven years. If you go eight, you've already seen the mystery team card played. I mean, uh, you know, the Broniker really play, you know, from the Scott Boris playbook. There's a mystery team out there. I won't say who it is, but they're offering seven. But, you know, because the Yankees typically wind up having to give guys extra money and extra years to get I, guys because they have the people know they have it. And I guess it turned out to be Boston. That was one of those mystery teams that offered seven years but a lower uh, value, correct? Yeah, and, I mean, that's what I would try to do. I mean, if I was his agent, I'd say, look, if the Rangers are willing to give us seven, we've had a great time in Texas. You know, if you want to step up to eight, we can take that to them, and that might get it done. Well, one thing that I haven't seen written, I'm sure it has been, but, you know, one advantage the Rangers have there is no state income tax in Texas, correct? Right. Versus New York's, which is pretty high. So we'll yeah, see how that all works out. you have any predictions where you think Cliff Lee lands? I still think the Yankees. I mean, I think if the Yankees really want a guy, I don't think anybody can outspend him. And I think it's more certain now they have to get him now or they'll get pummeled they, by their media. Yeah, they'll get they pummeled. Don't I mean, they're going to be a $200 million payroll team. I mean, they, they still have a pretty good team. I mean, they still Indeed. went pretty far without him last year. But – Somebody was telling me, and I haven't even looked that far ahead, I don't think the 2011 free agent crash, 
free agent class is supposed to be that good. So I, if you're saving your money, not that the Yankees ever do, but if, if teams say, okay, well, this got out of hand, we'll wait till next year. I don't know if there's really a lot of premium free agents people. You know, you got Albert Pujols. Right. But the interesting thing with him now is with Gonzalez in Boston and Pujols in New York. Uh, you Teixeira, know, you mean Teixeira? Yeah, yeah. Teixeira in New York. In New York I, mean, I guess Pujols could DH somewhere or, or whatever. But uh, but someone put out to me yesterday, you know, it was Ed Price, a uh, former BA employee now with AOL. Former, former Jim Callis roommate. That's right. Are. My early days at BA. And uh, Ed said, you know, it's interesting, you know. Carlos Pena is in Chicago for one year, and then Pools is free agent. So, and then the Cubs have a lot of money coming off the books. That is interesting, but uh, but not Alfonso Soriano. That'll be a murderous row, Soriano and Pools together, and to <laughs> with Tyler Colvin in the middle of that Cubs lineup. I, I uh, damn with faint praise, but uh, fun stuff, guys. Always fun to talk Rule Five. My Rule Five, my Rule Five fever subsiding. I'm gonna go eat some lunch. <laughs> you guys will be flying back today. Minor league uh, final winter meetings banquet for me tonight. I'll get to present our Minor League Player of the Year award to Mitch Lukovics, who did not win that award. He had a great year. That's right. But uh, uh, he's going to be in a great mood, I'm sure, as the winter meetings end with the uh, with the Rays uh, losing many of their players. So yeah, they struck back. They took Cesar Cabral. And That's right. Right back at you, you Red Sox Nation. You take our CC, we'll take your CC. <laughs> That's it. I like that. <laughs> I can't beat that. Great ending. Great take. So for Matt Eddy and for Jim Callis. I'm John Manuel. We thank you so much for the questions. Uh, remember, we're sponsored by MLB Network. Go to BaseballAmerica.com slash MLB Network for our special four issues for $4 offer and get all this goodness and much more at Baseball America and BaseballAmerica.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. So long, everybody. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.